Off the Balls League of Ireland podcast. Hello there, and you're very welcome to the Off the Ball League of Ireland podcast with myself, Jamie Moore. Coming up over the next hour or so, we're going to be joined by Keith Tracy, former Ireland star. He played in the Premier League age just 21 and quit football at 27 to deal with his problem with alcohol. He openly missed that he was an alcoholic, but he's now been sober for two years and is making a plea to managers in England or Ireland to sign him up at the age of 30. Former Shamrock Rovers striker Dan Carr signed for Cypriot side Apollon Limassol this week, but his former manager Stephen Bradley accused him of being too big for the club. He tweeted that it was a load of bollocks, and he's given us an exclusive interview to defend himself and tell us about what life in Cyprus has been like so far. And then it's all about a very special day this Sunday in Stradbrook Road in Cabin Teeley, as Cabin Teeley and Bray Wanderers come together to play a testimonial match in honour of Michael Locker Davis, the legendary League of Ireland kit man who's very, very sick in hospital at the moment. The Cabin Teeley manager and director of football, Pat Devlin, will be here, as will Alan Cawley, who played for Bray while Locker was the kit man. Alan now a full-time pundit with RTE. He'll help us preview the second round of the FAI Cup this weekend and also tell us about his former club Shelburne and their hopes for promotion back to the Premier League. They're now top of the First Division with just three games left. That's all on the way in the League of Ireland podcast. So let's get the show on the road. The best League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. Hey, it's Jamie Moore here. You're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast with you on offtheball.com every Wednesday. Now, very happy to welcome former Ireland man Blackburn, Burnley, St. Pat's, Drawed United and more Keith Tracy's studio. Keith, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Jay. Thanks for coming in. You're looking well, sir? Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Keith did a piece with Aidan Fitzmaurice in the Irish Independent this week and the headline reads I'm sober two years now and I want to play again former Ireland star Keith Tracy a terrible mixture of alcohol and depression put the put out the fire in the belly and dulled the talent which made the Dubliner Keith Tracy a Premier League player and an Ireland international at the age of 21 but now three years after he walked away from football planning to never play again the boy from Sheriff Street in Dublin has rediscovered the drive which had him within sight of greatness and Keith is in, in here to tell us his story about time in England playing under Giovanni Trapattoni and plans to put the boots back on and, and that's your plan Keith you're, you're uh, hoping to get ready to go again yeah well uh, <coughs> like I say I spoke to Aidan about it in, uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, I started seeing uh, a chiropractor probably yeah just a little over six weeks ago I gave him my history my background and my back and he spoke about it uh, had a look at it and he said to me in 12 weeks I could have you pain free so I'm halfway through that process now and I continually pushing and pushing myself to try and get me back to react I'm, I'm that sort of person I'm that way inclined but it, it keeps reacting well and uh, yeah everything keeps uh, the boxes keep getting ticked so ready to push on yeah, you moved to Blackburn in 2005 and you played in the Premier League, played over 50 games for Preston, played over 60 games for Burnley, had a couple of other loans and you came home and, and spent a little bit of time at Drada and St Pat's and then you stopped playing football and you haven't played football for the last couple of seasons. Why did you stop? Uh, <coughs> it was a concession of things. Uh, I think the the drink had worn my body down a lot. Obviously the the phys- the physicality of the championship where I was mostly based over the years uh, I think took its toll on me as well and there was a lot of injuries that got neglected over the years I just needed time to uh, completely step away from football refresh uh, physically and mentally and thankfully I'm in a place now where I can bring football back into my life and be productive with it as well How have those last couple of years been when football was all you knew as a kid it was all you knew from when you joined Blackburn in 2005 until your Pat season in 2016 that was all you knew and for the last couple of years you haven't had that uh, it's been quite easy because you know football to me is not no, the be all and end all I love it and I love watching it but when you have a family at home and you need to sort your own issues out you know football steadily goes back goes back really quickly in my eyes but 
I'm ready now. I'm juggling things. I'm, you know, I'm on top of on top of the family things. I'm on top of the the drinking and the. Yeah, like I say, I think it's it's time to bring football back. Yeah, four young kids as well to look after too, which I'm sure uh, has uh, helped fill your time. And interestingly as well, folks, Keats doesn't actually have a phone. So not just a smartphone, but doesn't actually have a phone. So I got Keith through. Uh, in the phone I have it saved as Keith Tracy Misses. Yeah. And I WhatsApp you the other day saying, will you come in for an interview? And I text you to see if you were in the building and realised that you were in the building, but you hadn't seen the WhatsApp because you don't actually have a phone. Now I do. Uh, anybody who wants me or is... Uh, wants to speak to me will they know where I live interesting you know, people yeah. like you can get me through my wife you know yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a nice little balance I don't have people pestering me I just uh, that's what, you were all baffled by that for some reason that I don't have a phone but if people want to meet me they tell me a time and I'm there it's, I'm just old school yeah so if and when you get your new club and the manager wants to add you into the players whatsapp group for the you know to uh, you know send in the stats or whatever you won't be you'll have to be your, your wife's phone yeah, send it to the wife's phone and uh, I'll, uh, I'll pretend to have a look at them there. Yeah, one warning to uh, Keith Tracy's wife, the stuff that goes on in those footballers' WhatsApp groups, I don't think she might want to be a member of it. <laughs> oh, it is, she's well aware, she's well aware, she's seen me all phones back in the day, so she, uh, she's, she's going in, eyes wide open. Very good, very good. So, before we speak about the now and, and you know, the issues that you faced over recent years, which you spoke so openly about in the Irish Independent, Let's go back to, to England, back to your time at Blackburn in 2008 when you played in the Premier League and then in 2010 when you made your Ireland debut and you have a number of caps for your country and at that time you had the football and world at your feet. Yeah, it, w- it would seem so from, you know, when you throw them sort of facts at me then you would think, you know, everything's on the up. But in the background, the drinking was probably at its worst at Preston but I think I, I probably suffered because I was, I was so talented without, without trying to say that without a big head you know I think I could hide the drink on a Saturday I could hide the drink on a Tuesday I could play well or score a goal to make it look like I played okay and I got away with it for a, for a very long time over two years but my career was on an upward path and my, my, wage, my wages were on an upward path so everything seemed to be going well but you know once you leave the training ground there's nobody there <clears throat> well in my case there wasn't so you know, it was quite easy to hide all the things that were going on in the background. So, when you went to Blackburn as a young fan, you know, at the time you're trying to achieve a career in football, were you a, a, kind of a full-time pro then, or had you started drinking even at that age? Uh, no, the, the first drink I had was me going away party in Dublin at 15. We uh, we all went down to the off-license and somehow got, got served drinking. It was in Fairview Park, we had, a, we had a couple of cans and I ended up, I flew to England the next day to uh, to start my career with Blackburn. But that, that was my first real taste of uh, alcohol and uh, yeah, me, uh, that was it. It was, I flew over there and you know, you have, a, you have house parents which, you know, don't really uh, look after you as well as they should. So, you know, that once again, that was quite easy to do whatever I wanted. And it's ironic that you would have your move to England came off the back of playing for Belvedere in Fairview Park. Yeah. And you're yeah. having your, your first drink as a fifteen year old in the same place where you had so many happy football memories and yeah. that was the start of your drinking even that young. Yeah, well, it's the first time I can uh, I can ever remember having a drink and, you know, starting to feel a bit drunk. So yeah, you can we can pinpoint it back to Fairview. So how quickly did you start to become a drinker? Uh, it was quite Quite soon after that, because uh, we we all got paired up when I when I landed, we got paired up, and I was with an English lad who was actually from Blackburn, uh, Frankie Field, and he, he's uh, I think he's playing for Millwall at the minute. Is he a goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me and him were roommates in, in the digs, but he lived in Blackburn, so he he went home quite regularly, so he was left alone quite a lot. And because I went over at fifteen, I didn't have uh, 
whatever UEFA license I needed to play. So I would find myself training with the under 18s and the reserves at sometimes the 14, even at 15. So I was making friends that were above me age and were drinking a lot. So you know, people like Jonathan Douglas and you know Gavin Pears were at Blackburn. I was you know quickly paired with them, and you know would, was a couple of years ahead of me time really. How were you able to perform at such a level if you had already started to drink? And you know, these days you see young footballers, 16, 17, 18, 19, they're in the gym all the time. They ha you know, every, their every movement is tracked. They wear you know, a, a small vest with a, a, like a small chip in it that tracks their movements, they're running, they're sprinting, their load, all that sort of stuff through GPS. And at that stage, you were at a top club and you were in the Premier League. Uh, well, at Blackburn, I, I went a long time without actually ever. I think I was there. I was at the club for seven years, and I think I played uh, twenty-two top-flight games from, which is ridiculous over that time scale. But you know, once again, I, I would be too good for the reserves, but not good enough for the force team. So I would travel with the force team and not play, and then they say, "Oh, well, the reserves want you, but don't play them in the reserves because we might need them in the force team next week." So I quickly found myself in limbo. I got I got to that stage in my career quite quickly where I was in limbo, and you know, I, I was never really put under the pressure that I should have been and when you're that age I think the body can take that bit of drink and you know I think enthusiasm and like I say that that bit of talent mastered off of me. So you made your Premier League debut in 2008, mm -hmm. bring us back to what you remember about that? It, the, I, well I remember it was the first day of the season but I remember the pre-season we had was in Austria and Paul Ince was, was the gaffer and he used to put the a flip chart up every morning of what we're doing and the plan and uh, whatever we wanted to do for the night. But Keith will tell you this as well. The uh, <coughs> one of the nights we were we were going out so much over there that one of the nights somebody put on the board, please, Gaffer, can we stay in tonight as a joke? And like Paul Ince used to let us drink wine because he was quite continental with what he's thinking. But you know, some of us took that to a different level, and you know, pre-season was non-existent, and you could tell by Christmas. Paul Ince ended up getting the sack and it was because the players didn't prepare right in the pre-season, it was too much of a drinking culture. Yeah, and the Keith that Keith mentioned is Keith Andrews who had a show here on Off The Ball, currently the Ireland Under 21 assistant manager and doing lots of work for Sky Sports as well and Keith would have been a teammate with the other Keith beside me here at Blackburn too. So you're in pre-season for the Premier League, you're about to make your Premier League debut and in those days the culture of drinking around football was clearly still there. Yeah, it was still quite big, at, uh, at Blackburn it was anyway. And you know, I, I remember uh, I, the, the first thing I did when I signed for Blackburn was my family had to meet Graham Souness, and he was a uh, he. I think he had a uh, some sort of boot on his foot. I, I think he had gout or something. And my man and dad said, "Oh, that's that's a, a rich man's disease. You know, they get uh, from red wine and <laughs> you know steak and that." And he said something about drinking, and then I went to meet Gary Flickcroft because he was the team captain. And the first thing he said to me was, "Don't ever miss a night out." And you know, obviously, I took that quite literally and never missed a night out. Well, and yeah, it was just little things. I think you can pinpoint them back to. But you know, this is not me blaming these people. These are me just you know acknowledging what happened and being able to deal with it and move on. I'm not pinpointing blame on anybody else's feet here. So around that time as well, you're in, involved in Ireland squads, and Giovanni Chabatoni was the manager, and that's when I first started to cover the Irish team on a full-time basis. You know, on radio, going to all the games and the press conferences, and, and you know that Ireland squad still had the Shea Givens and the Damien Duffs and the Richard Dunns and anybody you can think of. All these top players, Robbie Keane's, were all in that squad. And at the age of 21, you were deemed at that level to be in that squad and to make your, your Ireland debut. Yeah, it was uh, it was brilliant. I, I remember when I got the phone call off of. Uh uh, Marco Tardelli, I, 
I ended up thinking it was a prank phone call coming from Dublin because it was such a, a dodgy English accent. But, you know, obviously Marco has a broken English. But, yes, uh, Led, Sean St. Ledger had to ring me and tell me it was all kosher. And, yeah, we got the phone call that I was going to be in the Argentina squad and I ended up playing. It was brilliant. But, you know, once again, the drink was all happening in the background there. But your, your career is on an upward curve that, you know, you can't think, oh, well, I can drink and do this. And, you know, all the signs were still leading up for me. So, you know, why would I stop what I was doing at the time? Yeah, you always wonder how a, a footballer finds out they're in the Ireland squad for the first time. Mm. And for you, it was the assistant coach, Marco Tardelli, who's the an Italian time, man, yeah. who, whose English has to be said was much better than Trapattoni's, but still not perfect. And you're wondering at the time, of course, when you had a phone, is this actually real? Yeah, well, I had a couple of dodgy mates back in Dublin, so I wasn't sure whether <laughs> it was one of them uh, taking the mick or not. But yeah, like I said, Ledge got on the phone and told me it was all kosher. So yeah, that was how I found it. That Argentina game, was that the, was that the opening game of the with the first game? That was the first one, yeah. And Mr Lionel Messi was playing? Messi came off just as I was coming on, oh. so I nearly got to touch him, I did. Yeah. Or kick him, perhaps? Well, no, nah, he, he's actually, you know, he, you can imagine the sort of hysteria around him. And after the game, Rather, I can imagine how many players asked him for his jersey. He literally just came in with a black bag. Well, he didn't. The kit man did, and just dropped a load of number ten Argentina jerseys, about twenty of them. But the lads just dived on them, so I didn't even get one. It was crazy. God, well, maybe he's watching our League of Ireland podcast, and he might give you one now. Yeah, I do. You're just looking at an image here on, on the piece in the Indo kit of yourself and Trapattoni, and you know he was one of the most respected football managers in the world at that stage and you know people had debates about his style of play but he got quite good results and you know yep. you know he brought us to the, to the Euros and, and so on and an image of you there on screen wearing the number 18 and that really nice black and green Ireland kit what are your memories of your Ireland days and also playing with the types of players I mentioned? Uh, yeah like Duffer I grew up uh, watching Duffer playing on the left wing tried to you know model my game on him obviously went to Blackburn and he went to Chelsea and yeah, to get in squads with Duffer and Shea and Dunny and you know all the all the more experienced lads was was uh, absolutely brilliant. And I have to say, Kevin Kilban is probably the one of the nicest people I've ever met in football. He was absolutely spot on with me. He was the one who put me at ease because of the Preston connection. He was the first one who said hello to me at the time, and he really put me at ease. And th yeah, looking back at that, that was in uh, that was in Belgium, wasn't it, against Italy that yeah. game? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, but even that that game that we flew to Belgium, but when we got to Belgium. I remember being drunk, I remember being hung over in the hotel and I think a training session actually got cancelled because a couple of the lads had, had a bit of drink on them at the time and it was always all in the background, like these memories are all good and football memories are great looking back on them but I can always see just beyond the surface of it and you know what was really behind them. So if the theme of your football career so far is football at the top level but also drink, mm. that was able to continue throughout up until the last couple of years the rest of your career playing for Ireland your other clubs in, in the UK you know after you have Preston you went to Burnley alone at Sheffield Wednesday Barnsley before you came home and that was still a team going on in your life yeah it was it was a constant from from the age of probably yeah, 15 turning 16 it was a it was the one constant you know win lose draw injured not injured whichever whatever's going on in my life you know I can go to the pub at night and there was nobody to say otherwise to me in my life at the time you know is that something you look back on now and, and wish, if you could go back in time, that you had someone to say stop or, 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 or the clubs or the international team or whatever, where the culture, because at that stage you're a young player and because the senior players have been doing it for so long, it becomes the norm and you did it and then you weren't a young player anymore, you were a senior player expected to perform every week, earning lots of money playing for your country and trying to, to, to balance that with, with the drink and, and the impact that has on your body. Uh, it's 
it's hard, you know, when like I say, when you when your career seems to be going from level to level and you know, I was I was going through the gears, I was in the premiership playing for Ireland then and everything seemed fine. So if somebody had have stopped me and said, Keith, you need to stop drinking I don't think they could have given me a valid reason for me because everything seemed to be on the up. But you know, when you talk about health I always thought I was healthy enough because of what I was doing in the gym at the time, but you know, the damage that I've done to my body over the years I thought was, you know, irreversible. Thankfully, you know, I've got to a place now where I'm going, I'm walking around pain-free and I feel good. So, yeah, like I say, it's a, it's, it's a hard one, really. So, we're January 2015 now and you've just signed a two-year contract with Barnsley. Mm. But shortly after that, you're home and, again, speaking to Aidan, you spoke about the drink and you also spoke about being depressed and, and you just decided I need to be back in Dublin even though you had a two-year contract, which... Most people looking at this podcast or listening will go, God, why would he leave? Why would he leave that? Yeah, it's understandable. I know people people say to me all the time, how could you walk away from something like that? But that's, the drink was really bad at Barnsley because I, that deal should never have happened. I, uh, I turned down a deal at, to go back to Burnley at the time. They uh, Six months out from uh, Burnley being promoted before that, I had been told that yeah, whether it's championship or premiership, you're getting a contract but we can't offer you the contract because we don't know what wage structure you're going to be on so the agent, my agent said yeah listen it's all fine it's sorted but just waiting to see what league you're in that was quickly pulled away from me but Sean Dyche was adamant it was the board that didn't want me not him he loved me and blah blah but he, he wanted me back on a trial basis basically which I wasn't uh, prepared to do and you know in hindsight obviously that's, that wasn't a great decision but I played 38 games that season and thought you know, there'll be a there'll be a few championship clubs that'll come in for me, and I can keep my career going somewhere else. But yeah, my agent came up with Barnsley, and you know, I, I went there, and I, it was the Wednesday, and the season was starting on the Saturday, and it they, they literally said, why don't you go and just have a look? And I went to have a look, and then he said, well, why don't you just have a medical, just in case it, you do fancy it? Next thing I knew, I was bleeding, had a Barnsley thing in my hand, and I'd signed, and I was thinking, what on earth has happened here? And yeah, the the drinking continued, and you know I was missing more and more days than I should have been. And you know the club actually kept it quite quiet at the time. I'm sure they were they were fully aware of how much I was drinking. And you know when I, when I walked away, I think they knew the reason as well. And you know thankfully they they kept it quiet. So how do you go from being a Premier League Championship footballer, Ireland international, to not playing football? And apart from the sports side of things, you know, people often speak about being around a group of lads and, and, you know, the mental side and also, to be straight, the money. And you would have been on thousands of euro a week and then you went for a couple of years to earn a nothing. And I'm not sure if you were on the dollar or how you worked out or if you had money saved, but, you, you know, you go from being up there to home and, and maybe happier, but the football is gone and the, the massive amount of money you would have been earning, the cars, all that stuff is, is, is gone. Yeah, well, it took... It took Years and I think I've I done you know just over just over three years of therapy to to deal with everything that I had in 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 the locker and you know it's it's still it's a nice blanket to know that me uh, me therapist she only lives down the road so whenever I you know it's a nice safety blanket for me there if I ever need to go back. But in terms of dealing with it, you know I I laid everything out. I spoke to people. I told everything my wife how I felt and you know she was really good through it all. She. Uh, she stuck it all together. She was the the glue, you know. So it's probably best asking her that question, really. Yeah. But it it was hard, but you know, I took a lot of advice on board, and I did what people wanted me to do, even though I didn't trust in what was happening. And thankfully, I came out the other side. Well, I do have her number, Keith, so I could ask her. <laughs> I could. Uh, she she could be our next guest. Oh Jesus, <laughs> she'd have a lot to say about me. 
So you're uh, you're speaking about all that stuff in England and, and the club maybe keeping things quiet and you're missing days because you're hungover or you're drunk or whatever it was and, and you know you can't train. Did anyone ever offer you help? Did anyone say to you, listen, do you want to speak to someone? Do you, do you, you know because you, you, you've got help and you're now sober two years and you want to play again? But at that stage, these clubs you know have so much money and have so many departments to them. Is one of them not player welfare like? Yeah, there is the the PFA over there. To be fair, aren't very good. They're very reactive you know they're not they're not proactive for any situation that i've seen yeah and the eddie Howe tried to get me uh tried to uh, he asked me to go down to tony adams uh sport and chance thing but every player will tell you the same you know it was a 50 50 in that team whether i'd play or whether it was a a fella called junior stanislas at the time so the gaffer asked me if i wanted to go to help to rehab would give junior an up on me so i was saying no 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 i'm I'm fine you know i'll sort it out myself so you never really admit it to yourself because you don't want anybody to have, you know, the other left winger to have something over you so the gaffer will go, oh, he's playing, he's not. So I, I never really, plus I, you know, when somebody, t- I didn't believe I had a problem because I was functioning at such a high level, I thought, well, I can't be an alcoholic because I get up every day, I train every day, I'm, I'm in okay shape, I'm doing okay wage-wise, I have a job, so that to me, aren't they're not alcoholic characteristics, but when you really think of the definition of what an alcoholic is, then, you know, yeah, I definitely wasn't. When did you admit that to yourself or come to the conclusion that you were an alcoholic? Yeah, probably only recently in the, in the therapy, you know, but it was, it was Sean Dyche, he, he taught me so much in my career, but he was the one, he asked me when he first came to the club, uh, was I an alcoholic? And I said, no. And he said, you know the definition of an alcoholic? And I said, well, somebody who has, when they get up, they have to drink, you know, some whiskey or they have to start drinking as soon as they wake up. He said, no, no. And he got into the things of a functioning alcoholic. And I quickly, when he was explaining to me, I thought, you know, he's hitting the nail on the head with me here. But obviously I didn't tell him that. But that was probably the first time I thought, yeah, maybe there is a problem here. So I'm going to skip your time at Drodden Pats and go back to us. I want to finish on the football. But... The headline in the end though is, I'm sober two years now. Mm. When did you have your last drink? What made you, can you remember where you were, what you had? And two years on, you have Christmases, birthdays, you know, wedding anniversaries, mm. all that sort of stuff. You've, you've, you've been able to stay sober, but you had to make a decision at some stage to go, that's my last drink. Yeah, well, it, I never set out to, to stop drinking. Even when I was in therapy, the, the, you know, she, never, she never said, listen, in however many months time you're going to be completely sober because I wouldn't have been open to that idea but she said you know we'll we'll mend little ways of thinking and you know we'll we'll see how we go and it's it's a slow gradual road you know for anybody who is thinking of going to get help and just put your trust in people and you know you'll come out the other side it was it was a difficult difficult road but you know I'm here now I'm sober and I'm not fighting every day you know to go to the pub it's I have other things to occupy my time and I think that's probably the key. How does it feel not to be hung over a lot? Like to wake, everyone goes out for a few points, you know, the weekend or whatever, or you know, people who drink certainly do. And yeah. you wake up the next morning and you go, "I'm never going to drink again" because you feel so terrible. And that would have been you, lots of days. Yeah, but I, I had the opposite way. If I woke up with a hangover, I would go straight to the pub. I would make an excuse to not go training and go straight to the pub. And you know, it's not like I didn't have enough money to do it. I didn't have to go to work. So all them times. You know, all the, the I could do basically whatever I wanted. All I had to, you know, how loose footballers can be. Yeah, it's it's just such a loose lifestyle that you could get away with it in the background. It's probably a little bit different now since I've come away from it. But back then, it was uh, yeah, really, really loose. What would you say to a young player now, 
and maybe in the UK, but even here in Ireland, because people now, a couple, a couple of weekends ago, was leaving at results and all the players are out and whatever, but you see now on Instagram young players in England and they're, they're just turned 18, for example, and they're playing the Championship or Premier League or wherever they are, but they're, they're with that club and Saturday night they're in a nightclub and there's this bottle of vodka with the sparklers coming out and this really nice looking girl bringing it out to them and they're all there and they're loving it and this is the lifestyle. And maybe for them it's just once a month or once every two weeks, but they're painting this picture of being a party boy and that's not what football is now, but they still do it and they want to be seen to do it more than anything else. We had a discussion about phones earlier on and you're not on social media, but lots of them are and you see it and they get likes and they get comments and, and they think they can get girls and all this sort of stuff from it. Yeah, well, that, the social media ones, it's its a crazy one, you know. I got bit on the arse with that one a couple of years ago when I learned my lesson. I, I stay away from that from for good now. So, and I would encourage my kids to do it. Like I say, just, I have a couple of kids running around. So, when you're trying to preach to them about time on the internet and what they should and shouldn't be doing, and, you know, putting a picture up of what you're eating on Instagram should never have priority over anything, really. I, I think it's this whole social media craze is mental, but, you know, when you... I, trying to practice what I'm preaching with my kids, you know, so yeah, I see, I see no need for a, you know, me to have a phone at the minute. And not just the social media for these lads now, but just the fact that they are out and they're, you know, £600, £800, £1,000 for a table in some nightclub and they get their bottles of vodka and they get this and they get that and they can, you know, if they want, they can ask girls who are out having a dance, we're footballers, we have vodka, do you want to, we have drinks, you want to come up, you want to come up, and, and that's not the right, I've had a couple of mates who've been away and you you're go to visit them and you're in this nightclub and you're behind this little barrier and the bouncers are there and it's, it's, it's mental, but yeah. the one thing I would say to people is beware because the last girl who came up to me in the nightclub, I had a baby for her. Okay. And we, uh, she took... Uh, I think it was 25% of me money for 10 years, so... Okay. You know, you're not as good looking as you think when <laughs> when all these women keep coming up to you. There's a reason they come up to you, so... Yeah, just just be a bit clever with it. There's, there is times you can do it and times you can't do it. Just keep your eyes open. Yeah, so you have four kids, so three here with your wife? Three here with my wife and one over in England, yeah. Okay, so there you go. That's the, the story of a night out and... Yeah, what happened? Yeah, and, and <laughs> ah, it is what it is, but listen, yeah, go in. I used to think, you know, ah, these women coming up to me, ah, I must be gorgeous artists of the Irish accent. It's not, it's, they know exactly who you are and they know exactly what they're after, so try and keep your eyes on. Yeah. So let's finish on the football, Keith. 2015, you come home. Johnny McDonnell, who is now the director yeah. of coaching at Belvedere, and you've been doing some coaching with them because uh, you're back. You're back living at home in the inner city. Is the manager of Drogheda, mm. first division or Premier Division at the time? Premier, they must still been. Premier. Yeah. yeah, they got. I think they got relegated that year. Yeah. So the news comes out that Keith Tracy is home and he's signed for the Drogs. Bring me to then. Yeah, that was that was completely out of the blue. I was just sitting at home with the wife and my phone rang at the time, and John said, "Listen." Uh, they aren't doing so well would you fancy coming in you know there's no no pressure he told me about how perilous it looked at the time and yeah yeah I said yeah I'll come in and I ended up I played one game against Limerick and I think we, we got beat 4 nil, and John left the game after so he done me a real favour there and left me there for three months by myself but yeah that, that was that was the story of Drada How was your first League of Ireland experience and, and again you've gone from the Prem and, and playing for Ireland you know some people would say well sorry it is a step down mm. but lots of people have done it and you didn't go to a top club at that stage but you enjoyed your football as far as I remember yeah well I made I made a big mistake uh, leaving Preston to go to Burnley and it was largely because everybody thought Preston was a smaller club in comparison to uh, Burnley which it probably was at the time but you know we, we just got relegated but that that turned out in hindsight to be 
a bad move for me because I was very happy at Preston and you know Burnley the fans never really took to me because I had played for Preston and Blackburn so yeah when the League of Ireland they started thinking about coming back and John rang I said yeah well why why go to a big club why, why don't I go with John you know just as much chance as being happy there so you play for Drada and then the St Pat's manager at the time, Liam Buckley, gives you a ring. Mm -hmm. You sign there. It's you know one of the top teams in the league with lots of top players. Pick on screen there if you're doing a media day before. There's a uh, bit of weight in them cheeks there. <laughs> you, can, you can tell I'm drinking there. Yeah, really? Yeah, look at the bleeding size of them cheeks. I look like I'm starring chestnuts in there. Okay. But you can look at those photos now and, and think those things and realise, yeah, I was drinking then. Wow. Yeah, jeez. Okay. Yeah. So for those who are listening to the podcast, it's a, it's a photo of Keith sitting on a football in St. Pat's gear in front of a wall, you know, sports file or info. They do these these yeah, photo yeah. shoots. You were doing a media day. You're still drinking, evidently enough, but you're playing for Pat you're playing in the Europa League qualifiers mm. in Luxembourg and against a team from Belarus, uh, I think. Uh, Minsk, yeah, Belarus, yeah. yeah. Um and again you're you know, you hadn't had you played in Europe before in England? Were, were any of those clubs involved in Europe at the no, time? I don't think they were. Uh, Blackburn made it to Europe, but I never. I don't okay. think I made the squad to the okay. UEFA Cup. So you've come home. You're still drinking, and you're playing in the Europa League in, in high stakes games, which are worth a lot. You know, lots of money to the football club, and the players get their bonuses, and yeah. you're, you're kind of back at a you know at a you know probably quite a high level of football then. Yeah, well, that that space uh, we got through the Luxembourg game. We got knocked out in Minsk, but uh, yeah, that was all within a time of about. Three weeks. Yeah. So for three weeks, I switched. I switched on and tried, and you know, I was really motivated because we were aware of how much money was at stake uh, per game. So yeah, I was highly motivated for that, and you know, I think I, I played quite well in them two games. So yeah, the signs were there that if the fire came back, I could uh, I could perform still. So you know, like I say, I'm at a time now where that fire is back. Yeah, you're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. It's Jamie Moore here with former Ireland man Keith Tracy. And League of Ireland managers and clubs, beware, because he's making a comeback. One of the best left foots in football that I've seen. Like, so good. So good. And uh, you're back doing a bit of training. You're, you're back, your actual back is getting better via a chiropractor. And you're ready to go. If someone wants to give you a ring, possibly not now with the League of Ireland being nearly finished, but certainly for a pre-season in January, you're, you're ready to give it a go again. Yeah, well, you know, I'm open to anything at the minute. You know, I'd like to get a couple of months under my belt to get myself really fit and, you know, make an impact next season. But, you know, if somebody needs me to fill a hole or wants me to come in and, you know, have a look at me, you know, I'm open to whatever at the minute. How will it be getting back to that level of fitness, given you've stopped drinking and I'm sure your body feels great, yeah, but you I haven't... I honestly think it'll be yeah. a walk in the park because okay. I'm not drinking. You know, the way most of it has walked off me now, so with only, you know, little bits of exercise here and there with... In me, uh, the rehab with me back. So once uh, once the rains come off with me with me back, then we can really attack it, and I can lose this uh, last bit of puppy fat. Yeah, and you're only 30 as well, so you still feel you've got a, you know some years left. You said you're not going to go back to England, so it's it's the League of Ireland that you're looking at. Uh, yeah, listen, I said I wouldn't go back to England, but if somebody comes in with 20 grand a week, <laughs> I, I'll quickly change my mind. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I remember looking at Roger Federer playing in the Wimbledon final, and everybody was he's 37, he's 38, and you know, he was torn in 38. I thought. Why not? Why can't I do that? And it was literally just uh, everything kept going because you have a pain in your back because the drink now had had subsided at the time. So it was just a back issue, and now the back is starting to be addressed and everything feels good. So you know, why not go out with a positive mindset and see where it brings me? It's great to see you smiling and happy and mm. really ready to go again because I'm sure over those couple of years and, and longer, you, you probably thought this one wouldn't come, but you're smiling and it's 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 nice to be sitting here and hearing you speaking in in, in those terms, like. Yeah, well, you know, when life moves on, you know, and nobody was waiting around for me to get better, so you quickly realise that, you know, if you want to function and you want to 
keep doing what you're doing in life, then you have to move on and keep leave things in the past. And once I addressed of the reasons why I was drinking and why I felt I needed to do that, then you know it's it's quickly quickly subsides. And lastly, Keith, what are you looking forward to most about being a footballer again? Uh, I, I, I think just the buzz of getting to a ground and the fans starting to fill up. And I'd, 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 like, I'd like to score a goal again before I finish. And that, that I think I, somebody said to me the other day, I'm not sure how true it is, though, that I, I played 199 professional games, which really annoys me. Right. So I'd like to try and get that up over 200 anyway. So, yeah, I'd like to if scoring a goal is probably the one. and just getting back the smell of grass when you're when you're walking out to the pitch and you know the sprinklers starting to go on. It's just a little the buzz of it coming back. Well, if it's a League of Ireland game, I'll be there to cheer you on. We'll do an interview afterwards and talk about that 200th game and that goal. Yeah, well, we're at that goal. Yeah, no pressure. Keith, thanks for coming in. Best of luck. Anytime, bud. Off the Balls League of Ireland podcast. Yeah, it's Jamie Moore here on the Off the Ball League of Ireland podcast. Now, I'm very happy to welcome new Apollon Limassol striker Dan Carr back to the podcast. Apollon Limassol from Cyprus, and they played Shamrock Rovers in this season's Europa League qualifiers. Now, Dan, having spent a number of years in the UK in the lower leagues, joined Rovers in February of 2018 at the start of last season and scored his last goal for the club in their win over Finn Hart in the FAI Cup a couple of weeks ago. And Dan has joined Apollon Limassol from Rovers despite having 18 months left on a Shamrock Rovers contract and uh, the Rovers head coach Stephen Bradley had some interesting comments after uh, their game in Waterford this week about Dan Carr apparently according to Stephen Bradley anyway being bigger than the club and uh, that the club could have kept him but allowed him to go and Dan Carr has hit back with a tweet claiming that it was all a load of bollocks so Dan joins me uh, via WhatsApp audio from his hotel room in Cyprus Dan welcome back to the podcast again how are you? Tell us first of all just about this move and how it actually came about Yeah hello and uh, thank you for having me um, yes, to be fair, it's, it came about quite quickly. Um, I learned of the move after we played them and uh, the reports back from them to me was positive and I spoke to them and yeah, quite liked what they had to say and thought yeah, it would be good for me to come out here. Now Dan, it certainly is a unique move and you know we hear all the time about League of Ireland players, even with your own former club now, Shamrock Rovers, someone like Jack Byrne and how important it was for him to perform well in Europe to try and get a move maybe back to England and also to be called up by his international team. But we don't often hear about players impressing in these games and actually signing for a team, particularly someone from Cyprus. So it definitely is unique. Yeah, I mean, um, people, uh, like you said yourself, people always think, oh, it's always about going back to England. But I've always been open honest and said that I want to play at the highest level I can in any um, league or division so whether that is Cyprus, France, Spain, Lithuania, Azerbaijan, if the level is higher than what I'm currently playing, then I want to aspire to play to that. So, um, yeah, it's never really... England's not the only option. Of course, yes, that's where I'm from. But, um, yeah, it's not... I know it's not, the like, the norm, I guess, and I'm sure I'm not the only player that from the League of Ireland that has been asked to go abroad. But I just felt that um, the opportunity that this club gave me uh, Apollo Limassol, that is. I just felt it was too good to turn down to try and better my career. And um, it's a team that's done well in Europe. They were in the group stages last year and I think the year before that. And they have done many times <coughs> Sorry, before that as well. So, um, yeah, I just thought it's a chance for me to better my career, try a new culture, um, experience playing football at respectively maybe higher level some people might say than what I was playing at Shamit Rovers and that's no disrespect to Rovers it was just a, a way I thought hmm how can I improve my career would it be good for me 
And yeah, luckily the team saw something in me to offer me that contract and I'm just very grateful for it, of course. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't think when you were playing that Europa League game that you would have actually been joining that club a couple of weeks later. So give us more background on the move, Dan, and, and move on to Cyprus. And I'm sure you're just excited now to get going and meet your new teammates and, and really, really start off your career now as an Apollon Limassol player. Yeah, um, I was very impressed by the the facilities and everyone was very so welcoming from the directors to the managers, all the staff, um, especially the players as well. Anything I've needed or had an issue or problem with, I've got some great guys here who's played at a very high level as well, have been quick to help me and direct me and give me advice, especially on like uh, my living as well, where to stay, all the nice areas. So just basically everything as a whole. Everyone's been very welcoming and tried to help me set in here as quickly as possible. And uh, <coughs> trained for the first time there the other day. And yeah, it definitely is a very high standard. I should say that for sure. And um, very like lucky and blessed and need to really knuckle down and show exactly what I'm capable for this club. Because, um, like you said, I know they've got a lot of players and it's not going to be easy. So I need to really make sure and work hard that um, and when my chance comes, I take it. Now, Dan, recently I spoke to an Irish football coach who'd moved to go and become a manager in Cambodia. And he was talking about the weather and the food and the language barrier and stuff. It probably won't be as bad for you moving to Cyprus. But how have your first impressions been? And, you know, meeting everybody and, you know, trying to find somewhere to live. I know you're in a hotel at the moment and, you know, the food and the language and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Sam Bone comes to Cyprus uh, every year and he's always telling me about the foods, the tahinis, the pita. Uh, I can't remember the name of this lamb thing I had today, which is very nice. So, yeah, I'm learning a lot of the language. Uh, I'll try to. I'm going to learn a few words already. But the writing's a bit different, so <laughs> that might be a bit hard to do. And I've learned quite a few other languages, but, yeah, it'll be fun just to get to embed myself in the culture really and uh, try new things and very very open minded when it comes to things like that so uh, yeah uh, that's all that's going to be very interesting and exciting to do and obviously it's part of living I guess and yeah, exciting stuff going to move and live in Cyprus now Dan the main question on the lips of most Shamrock Rovers fans and most League of Ireland fans I'm sure is exactly what went on between yourself and Stephen Bradley the Shamrock Rovers head coach this week in terms of what he said and what you said as well um, you've hit back on Twitter this week um, in relation to what the untrue statement you say that uh, Shamrock Rovers head coach Stephen Bradley said to quotes speaking after the 5-1 win in Waterford the other night where he just didn't fit where we were going as a club when representatives tell you that maybe his heart is not in it playing for Shamrock Rovers he's not the right fit for you people maybe think we needed to sell but we didn't like what we heard this club and this team and what we're doing and what we're building is bigger than any individual if people don't want to be part of it no problem we'll shake their hand and let them walk away that was the case with Dan you don't want people who are in the mindset of not being with the team and not being in the group this club is a special club and it's bigger than any one individual and unfortunately that individual just felt that he was a little bit bigger than us and Dan Carr's tweet started with what a load of bollocks I never once thought I was bigger than this club that gave me so much always gave my all for the club and will always be part of me very untrue and disrespectful Dan what's your understanding of what Stephen said and your reply it's quite uncommon for this type of thing to happen but it certainly hasn't you had 18 months left on your contract Dan and Stephen Bradley said the club could have kept you so what's the background there did you ask to leave when did you first learn of the interest from Apple on Limassol and how did the move actually come about no I mean I have 18 months left on my contract I'm not going to ask to leave to go anywhere so um, no that wasn't the case and a cl- uh, the club upon Limassol put in a bid for me and the bid was accepted by the club 
So um, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know as what is what with that. That's just how I saw it. So um, like I said, I don't want to go to, to, into too much detail and start stirring some more pots. And I said, he said, she said, all that rubbish. It's uh, I said that tweet for a reason, just to defend myself. Because um, as I'm sure, I've had some good times here at Rovers and everyone that knows me and would know I've never thought I'm bigger than anybody, let alone a club. I could never think I'm bigger than Shamrock Rovers, of course. I never portrayed that. Oh, and I actually genuinely did love playing for Shamrock Rovers. Got a lot of love from the fans when I was playing and uh, I did. I did enjoy it playing there. But this is football and, and teams come in for people and people go, people come. It's, it's a part of life, it's a part of football. So um, as I heard, this opportunity came to me and uh, the club accepted the bid from Apollo Limassol. And yes, my time with at Rovers was up again. Uh, sorry, I guess. Now, Dan, I'm sure you have loads of happy Shamrock Rovers memories, which maybe we'll speak about in a moment. But you have had to come out very strongly on, on Twitter and, you know, lots of fans have supported you in what you said and um, Stephen Bradley's comments are kind of there for everybody to see and it's again something that you felt you had to do is, is come out and, and defend yourself tell me a little bit more about that and, and when did you first hear what Stephen had said and, and when did you decide you had to reply on Twitter yeah I mean I've got a lot of like I said a lot of good memories the only thing I'm disappointed at is I didn't get to win any silverware with Shark Rovers because that was one thing my target I really wanted to do because, you know, everyone can have good games and good seasons, but at the end of the day, it's about, about what have you won? What success have you brought? So that's the only disappointment I can say I had. But, I mean, scoring the goal last year in the Dublin derby, scoring away to AIK, um, I scored winners as well, Sligo, Pats. I, mean, I don't want to just read off all my achievements, but those are just moments for me that I've really thoroughly enjoyed because it's meant something and it's helped the club as well as the club has helped me, it's helped the club as well. Um, obviously, this year as well, some important game winners, goals, etc. And certain goals, you know, as a player, you always have. It's all to me, all very good, all because it helped the team and the team. Like I said, the team helped me. There's been many games I'm sure that I've not performed, but my teammates have dragged me out of it, and the staff as well. Uh, I know obviously it's Comstadators, but the gaffer did actually helped me in my time, which was a bit surprising to me, like hearing of his comments. And um, it was actually a friend, sorry, that told me about the comments. And because I don't look at like really these internet stuff, unless someone's tagging me in it and I click on my Twitter or whatever, I see it. But I don't like, wouldn't see read these stuff. So when I learned of it, I thought, what? Like, and it's quite disappointing to be honest. Like I said, I don't want to go into too much detail. And I said what I said, and I feel like I've closed the matter with that. But like I said, I just thought it was very disappointing because I have had good times there. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to see those support I've got from the fans. But any issue that it had should, I think, should have stayed personal, um, privately, sorry, between me and the club or whatever. Not, I'm not one to go out on Twitter and tweet this and tweet that. But, you know, sometimes I feel like you do have to stand up for yourself because I don't want my image out there being that I think I'm too big for a club because a lot of these fans or people won't actually know me personally. And so when they're hearing that from a manager who's going to come out and say that, they're going to think, oh, Dan Cole, Dan Cole is that. And no, 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 I'm not having that. Sorry, I'm not. I have to defend myself and make it well known I'm not that type of person. Never have been, never will be. 
and as you can see from the support I've got, uh, the fans and my friends, especially loved ones, know. So that was that was all about. There's nothing to it. I don't want to add more fire to the pot or whatever. It was just literally about knowing like I'm not that type of person, and I'm very strongly about that. So yeah, that, that was it really. Yeah, Dan, listen, thanks for being so open and honest and you spoke very well in terms of your feelings on that there. Now, one positive thing for you, Dan, of course, with your move to Apple on Limassol is this amazing backflip and, you know, the Shamrock Rovers fans loved it and saw quite a lot and the photographers did too and you did it last in front of the South Stand at Tallis Stadium and that win over Finn Hartz when you got the winning goal there in the FAI Cup a couple of weeks ago. So be hopeful that that'll be out and about in the league in Cyprus now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, honestly, I couldn't... The flip just came about one day. Uh... I just get a big euphoric feeling of scoring a goal. I don't know why, I just started to flip and I didn't land it very well and I used my hands and it was terrible. And then one day I just did it and it just did my hands, I jumped high enough where my hands didn't need to be used and I thought, oh, I did that all right. And then to be fair, it just kind of copped on uh, with the Rovers fans and they seemed to like it. And so if I know they like it, when I score a goal, it's nice to give them the flip that they used to like to see. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I might do some more flips over here. I mean, I got to score first, and that's not always easy. So <laughs> yeah, definitely got to. It would be nice, you know, if the fans like it here. Then give them what they want and what they like. So um, or who knows? I might pull out a dance move. I fancy myself as a bit of a dancer. So now nah, I'm playing. But um, no, nah, it's all good fun, really. That's all it is about having good fun and have to score to see what I do first. But um, yeah, that was literally what it was, just a euphoric feeling. And I guess when I'm happy, I just do backflips. <laughs> and Dan, lastly, you're actually only 25. I thought you were maybe 27 or 28. I'm not quite sure why, but, you know, in the prime years of your career now, it's an interesting move to a very, very good league. And uh, I'm sure you're looking forward now to just getting going and really, you know, make the next part of your career a positive period in your life. A lot of people seem to think I'm older, but yeah, I'm 25. I feel like I'm a good age now. And obviously, like you said, I need to start really kicking on and having something to show for my career now. That's just the main thing. And uh, a lot of the clubs I've had, yeah, I know my CV has got a lot of clubs, but a lot of them were loans when I was quite young when I had those loans. And it was just about getting uh, lots of game experience because I was at, obviously, Huddersfield and I was young then and I had a very good strike force that was difficult for me to get in. So in order for me to improve my career and get further playing time, loans were, unfortunately, what I had to do. So I had quite a few loan moves in the League Football League and uh, that was, yeah, that was it. So um, and obviously I signed back uh, my non-league team after that but yeah, a lot of these clubs were, were loan moves which is obviously expected for young players to help boost their career. But um, yeah, like I say, I'm very much looking forward now to uh, this challenge ahead of me. Like I said, I've always said, I know coming here it's never going to be easy. There's a lot of really top quality players here Obviously, all these are to be playing. So, when I'm called upon, it's only up to me to take my chance and really knuckle down and just give everything I have. Lit pretty much, I have no regrets. So, uh, looking forward to the challenge. And like I say, I, and I always say, I'm very blessed and lucky to be given this opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I need to go and take it with both hands now and really kick on. Great stuff. That's the voice of former Shamrock Rover striker and now Apollon Limassol player Dan Carr speaking to us exclusively here on the Off the Ball League of Ireland podcast. Dan, thanks a million for your time when you were at Shamrock Rovers and also now I know you're in your hotel room talking to us on WhatsApp audio. So the best look with the move and the new career and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it and uh, thank you for having me and I uh, wish you all the best.
Take care. Bye-bye. Off the Balls League of Ireland podcast. So in Strabrook with Alan Colley ahead of the Michael Locker-Davis testimonial game here on Sunday. Three games taking place and some unbelievable League of Ireland legends, including Alan involved. And you're here for a good cause. You uh, would have been in a team when Locker was a kit man a number of years ago at Bray. And you have good memories of him. Yeah, Locker, um, I suppose, just to echo what everyone was saying this morning about him. Jamie, yeah, a really good man. Um, good fella. He used to look out for us, look after us really well. And he was part of anyone who's familiar with the League of Ireland as we all are he would have been part of Pat's entourage no matter where he went Pat used to like to bring five, six, seven. Uh, he nearly had more staff always than, than players Pat uh, but Locker was a main part of that and as I say I spent two years out in Bray with him um, and even though we had a very good team at the time Eddie Gorman was the manager Keith Long was assistant and we had big players Clive Delaney Buzzer Gerald Rowe uh, Gavin Whelan Andy Myler we had a good side but more enjoyable nearly um, not so much more enjoyable in the football but going hand in hand with that was the environment that Pat created uh, from the top down uh, amongst the staff the players and obviously the kit men as well in Locker there was Nicky Kavanagh Mark Kavanagh um, and it was just a, a, almost like a family atmosphere which I used to love about it and it was kind of my abiding memory of the whole thing that the, those two years I spent out there were two really enjoyable years The importance of a good kit man to a football team and a football staff sometimes is not spoken about and sometimes is underestimated but they do play a key role and apart from actually doing the gear they're kind of a, a middleman between the manager and the, and the players maybe similar to a physio but um, you know Locker certainly has had a great relationship with all of the players even a couple of the younger boys who were only here with him for a few weeks before mm-hmm. he got sick at the start of the season have good things to say about him Yeah and I think you're right what you say Jamie like obviously you're involved in football teams and different things and um, the kit man yeah it can, be, it, it can never be underestimated just how important they are it's not just the case of them getting the kit ready they're almost that go-between and um, and football is a serious business as we all know and if you just want a bit of kind of bit of banter a bit of crack it's nearly more often than not you find it in the kit, in the kit room uh, either before training after training and I suppose we always created the environment as well that it wasn't a case of the kit man's there to pick up the jerseys and pick up the shorts we'd off dip in and help as well because it was never fair to see anyone just picking up kit and picking up jerseys and Locker used to always appreciate that so it was always that uh, respect as well that was created and I think to be fair any team that I've been involved in it would be wrong of me to say that that was only the case here kit men all over the place and I'm sure nowadays it's the exact same every player will tell you uh, they play such an important role and Locker yeah was just like, like, like them all a really really nice man yeah, and the League of Ireland community coming together for this game on Sunday. And some of the players involved, the likes of Paul Ozam, Jim Crawford, Paul Doolan, Jason Byrne, John Gill, Trevor Crawley, Shane Robinson, Tony Cousins, Pat Jennings Jr., Kevin Doherty, Stephen Rice, Ollie Horgan, Dave Henderson, Stephen Henderson, Mick, Level, Mick Neville, should I say, Pat Flynn, Pat Fenlon. The list of people who have decided to spend a Sunday here, mm. some of them didn't even probably you know, have Locker on their staff, shows that the League of Ireland does come together when it's needed. Absolutely, yeah, and I suppose um, there's plenty of people that want to not knock the League of Ireland, as we know, Jamie, but certainly in times like this, it is a kind of a close unit. Uh, it's a small league, as we know, and you'd see familiar faces no matter what ground, no matter what club you're affiliated to, no matter where you go up and down the country, you'd always see familiar faces around, and Locker certainly was one of the most recognisable faces that you'd see around the league. Any time you'd go into the Carlisle grounds, you'd always be knocking around, uh, whether you were part of the team or whether you were there going there with, with an opposition team. Um, and it just speaks volumes for him, I think, as you says, that they're creating this day for him. And obviously the names, some of the names you've just listed out there, it's a who's who really of League of Ireland lads. And that's one thing that we're really good at, I suppose, is that we rally around each other when, when there is lads maybe in a bit of need. Yeah, and everybody here from Pat Devlin to Eddie Wallace and Eddie Gormley and co have really you know, put some groundwork in to get the amount of bodies who'll be here on Sunday and it should be a great afternoon. 
Myself and Alan are speaking on Monday, so on Monday night, Shamrock Rovers play Waterford in the league and Dundalk host Bowes in the EA Sports Cup, so by the time this goes out on Wednesday, we won't know the results of those games, but we do know the result from Friday, UCD won Bohemians 10 mm-hmm. at Dalyman Park. You know, UCD have lost players and they had you know, a young goalkeeper in goal uh, called Tom Murphy who was home from Everton. I feel very sorry for him because I'm sure Conor Kearns probably would have conceded a similar number of goals just given how UCD played on that night, but you know, for Bowes, their record win and for UCD, just a really, really, really disappointing night. Yeah, really, really disappointing, Jamie. I was in Inchicore, obviously, the Pats and Sligo game, and we were checking the scores as we were coming in, and, and I think people were um, kind of bewildered, really, as to how it could get to that point where you'd be goals going in left, right, and centre, and you'd be kind of counting up as far as 10. Um, it's a long time. I think 1960, I was reading that, was the last time, and certainly as long as I've been involved in the League of Ireland, I've never seen a team getting beat as much. And I know UCD have lost players, and it's a young squad, but I still don't think you should be losing 10-1. Like, at some point, four, five, six down, you say, look, we just shut up shop and, and limit the damage here. Uh, but it seemed as though there was goals going in left, right and centre. And yeah, it'll be really hard on Collie because obviously they're a young group. They've lost their key, marquee players, really, in the off-season, which was always going to be hard for them. But still in all, you should, I don't think you should be losing 10-0 or 10-1 in any game. Yeah, and it was only 2-0 at half-time as well, so the second half just, just totally fell apart for them. And that has to be difficult for Collie O'Neill and Ian Ryan you know, to get the players going again now. Mm-hmm. They've got a, a difficult game, a cup game against Pats this weekend. And, and they're now tr- trying to catch Finn Harps with a game in hand, but their confidence surely has to be hit by that. Absolutely, yeah, because it was only two or three weeks ago that they got, lost 7-0 up in Tala as well. Uh, so to be shipping 17 goals in two games... Is not really great, to be honest with you, Jamie. Um, and of course, it's going to have a huge dent on their confidence. Uh, it'll be tough for Collie to pick them up now, I'm sure, going into the, the latter end of the, the season now as well. And it's games that they need to win because obviously they're fighting against um, Finn Harps there for that kind of automatic relegation spot as well. So uh, it's going to be very, very hard for them. And, and it's going to be very difficult to see how to get out of that situation now because whatever about scoring goals the other end if you're shipping goals you have no chance in games and as I say I don't think you should be losing nine, by 9 or 10 in any match and at the other end of the table we know Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers are shooting for the league and again you know, Shamrock Rovers are, are in action tonight so the gap could be closed but Dundalk will have two games in hand then so Dundalk's title to win but the race for behind those with the third, fourth and fifth spot is, is interesting between Bohemians, Derry and St. Pat's who you watched at the weekend the league is currently uh, Bowes on 49 and third Derry are in fourth on 46 and Pats are in fifth on 43 they've all played 29 games so you know there's a full series of games to go and all to play for for that third and fourth and if someone wins the cup fourth gets Europe again yeah well it's huge it's, it really is because like all season it's been looking like Bowes were nailed on for that spot but obviously they had a, had a little blip there uh, for a couple of weeks but they seem to have got themselves back in order again obviously that was huge last week the cup win coming from two down because that would have been a major dent in their season not only to go out of the cup but um, towards the league as well it could have really knocked the confidence but the fact that they obviously got the win, that was massive. And then to go out and score 10 the following week uh, puts them back in prime position for that spot. And I think, to be fair to Bohemians, they've been great all season. Um, they've, getting a, they've got a lot of plaudits and a lot of accolades. But I think rightly so, because you look at the resources around the clubs that they're maybe challenging with, and they would certainly be the least in terms of that. Uh, so I think Keith Long and Trevor Crowley have done a brilliant job. And if they were able to mark that, would obviously qualify for Europe as well. It would really top their season off and maybe go go well in a cup also um, but it's interesting the St. Pat's angle I watched them on uh, Friday night and the first half was very very poor 
but they, they came out in the second half and reacted really, really well and responded to whatever Harry had to say. And even though it's been probably a disappointing season for them overall, you look at the table and they're still in touching distance of that European spot. Um, so they have left themselves in an, with an opportunity now as well to maybe pull that back if they can. They're t- six points behind Bowes. Um, so they're in with a shout, even though it's albeit to be very inconsistent and very hit and miss. And I'm sure if you were to speak to Harry himself, he would say that also. Uh, but I think that was a big win for them on, on um, Friday night against Sligo because at half time obviously from a Sligo Rovers point of view you would have been delighted with how things were going because if, arguably they could have gone in two or three up never mind just the one but certainly in the second half I thought Pats played really really well and the young lad Macaulay looks like a good find for them because obviously they were struggling to score goals and they were maybe a bit reliant on Drennan but that lad has come in now and I think he scored in the cup last week he got a great goal uh, the other night and he looked lively in the match as well uh, so that will definitely give them a boost going into the final games of the season yeah, we've the FAI Cup last 16 taking place this weekend as well with games across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Bowes, Longford, Derry against Dundalk, surely the tide around. It's Galway against Cork, UCD against Pats, we mentioned. Shamrock Rovers against Drogheda. Drogheda, of course, knocked Rovers out of the Cup in the first round in the United Park last year. Glengad against Waterford, Sligo against Limerick and either Crumlin or Lucan will be in the quarterfinal given how the draw has gone. So we've got some really good games there to look forward to and I just love the FAI Cup every year because... They're on the day games and, and both teams always seem to go for it in those matches. Yeah, I'm the same, Jamie. The FEI Cup is probably my most favourite competition. Never had any luck in it, but uh, my uncle scored the winner back in 1983 uh, and he's still living off it. But I do love the FEI Cup and it's obviously come the Aviva at the end of the season. It's our showpiece day in the league as well. So it's a brilliant competition. And you look at, you've named out the teams there and the way the draws at the moment. You have a brilliant opportunity because no disrespect to the likes of Crumlin or Lucan, but whoever comes through that tie you'd be playing a junior team with a chance of maybe getting into a semi-final uh, so it really gives teams a hell of an opportunity and the likes of teams who maybe are having a disappointing run in the league as I said Sligo uh, they're playing Limerick at home this week that could keep their season going if they were to beat Limerick and obviously with a chance to progress in the cup because you find yourself three games and you're in a semi-final like it's, it's the way the format is of the, co- of the competition uh, you don't really have to do an awful lot to find yourself in kind of um, a chance of being, being there on the showpiece day so uh, it gives teams a huge opportunity it really does and obviously Bowes as we mentioned as well because you'd look at Derry and Dundalk one of the big boys are going to go out in that one it looked like Cork may have gone out last week but they live to fight another day so they maybe feel as though they have a great chance as well so uh, the Cup yeah I'm, I'm in total agreement which I love the FEI Cup and um, hopefully hopefully for the, for the good of the competition as well because obviously we've covered it the last two or three years and even though the rivalry has been brilliant with Cork and Dundalk you'd love to see maybe a new winner this year or a new final new finalist maybe yeah and of course the winners of the cup get Europe too so lots of those teams will have their eyes on that also as well Alan, lastly, you're a former Shelburne player. I watched him beat Longford on Saturday in City Calling Stadium by two goals to nil. Played really well. The second goal was like a, a magic free kick. I think set up by Ian Morris. You could see on the sideline that the coaching staff was a ball up the line. Brilliant free kick to go 2 nil up. Had they lost the game, they'd have been only two points ahead, but they're now five ahead with uh, three league games left to play. The other results on Friday, Bray 3, Cove 3, Cabin TD from here were beaten 1-0 by Galway. Draw a 6-0 winners over Wexford, their second, and Limerick won at Lone 1. So... You know, the first division is going to be finished in a few weeks apart from the playoffs uh, Shells are five clear with three left they still have to play Bray and they have to play Drada so they've got a couple of tough games but your old club looks like they're going to be back in the, the big boys league next year yeah and that was massive Jamie to go down to City Calling Stadium obviously one of their closest rivals and, and as you said had they lost that it would have been all to play for because Drada winning the previous night would have only been two points behind Shells and obviously Longford and it would have been all to play for coming into the last three games but that was a massive win and a massive statement as well because I listened to AMR's comments after the cup game and to be 2-0 up and lose 3-2 of course that would have been a huge blow for them but he spoke really well and very positively after the match about the performance and how 
well they played against uh, Bohemians and if that were to take that into the game against Longford they'll have no problems and obviously they've done just that uh, so it's a massive win for them we all thought at the start of the season with the players that they brought in it would have been a bit of a cakewalk for them but it certainly hasn't panned out that way but he'd be just delighted to get over the line and I think as well to be fair obviously I have a little bit of a soft spot for Shelburne um, having played there but I think in relation to the league and there's a lot of discussion and, and chat about the formats and the direction and where we're going and, and this that and the other I think the league would be much better for a rejuvenated Shelburne and a, and a, and a kind of uh, Shelburne back to the old days going forward in a new league in a new format whatever case that may be so it'd be brilliant to see them get them promoted uh, and I think they've put themselves into a really brilliant position now Yeah because I made a video of the Shells players in front of the Shells fans at the weekend it was a great away crowd there and like the armed guard unit were there and a bit, I thought it was a bit, you know, a bit too much security but then Longford fans tweeting about Shells fans damaging seats and Shells fans tweeting back and blah 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 but it was a great video I'm not sure if you saw it in the garage on the way home of mm. the Shells players stopped so, to grab yeah. a coffee and half the Shells fans were there giving them a chance through the window and it does feel as if you know Shelburne are awakening again they've a new owner a new chief executive in David O'Connor new commercial deals a scholarship thing with DCU a very good team on the pitch a young manager who won't be the manager in name next year because he doesn't have his pro license but would think Stephen Henderson will, will, will have that title and it just feels as if you know Shells will have a say on things in the coming years in this league yeah absolutely and, and hopefully that's the case Jamie because as you rightly outlined there there's a lot of good stuff going on at Shelburne at the moment I saw that video with the fans as well I also noticed um, the previous week in the cup game there was a massive crowd in daily amount of Shelburne fans as well and I think the Premier League needs a good Shelburne uh, um, back in it because Shelburne has Look, such an unbelievable history in the league here um, and the likes of all the things you say with Stephen is obviously going in with the young lads in the academy as well I think is a good thing um, and AMRs to be fair to him a young manager took a brave step in taking the job uh, at the end of last season obviously he could have played, maybe played on with Bohemians and things were going good there at Bohemians as well for him but he took the brave step in taking his first managerial role and it looks like it's going to pay off for him as well which would be massive uh, I know there's the issue around the, the pro licence but as you say once Stephen is there maybe he can take, take on that uh, title um, and, and certainly I do feel strongly about that whatever, form it, whatever format we're going forward in and whatever direction the league is going in I think it needs a Shelburne and people might argue it's another Dublin team and, but if UCD drop out and obviously Shelburne come into it I think that'll be a, a major plus and that's no disrespect to UCD but I think in terms of off the pitch they bring a whole lot more uh, to the league and a couple of, uh, couple of seasons so we could have more than teams from Dublin in it with this All-Ireland League on the agenda and the NIFL started last weekend there have been a couple of rounds of that as well and you know debate about what will happen where do you sit on that Alan finally on, on the Noel Quinn group the Kieran Lucid group the FAI's involvement and, and where we're going because it does feel as if it is a time to make a decision of some sort yeah and I think it's it's not before time to be honest with you Jamie you know I think we've all been calling out for not just change but I think we need radical change and obviously with the stories that have gone on with the FEI of late I think that only tells you just exactly how neglected the League of Ireland has been over the years because you look at the European results even I think we should be 10, 15, 20 years advanced to where we are like we're miles behind in terms of some of the other countries and I think that's been a major issue with the league being neglected here so whatever form it goes forward in whether as you say it's the Nile Quinn group whether it's the Kieran Lucid one um, or both. both possibly working in tandem working together yeah but I just think that whatever whatever happens going forward with the FEI I think the League of Ireland has to take pride of place as the national kind of it's the highest level you can play it in this country and I think it should be top of the tree with everything filtering down from there and hopefully that's the case going forward I've heard a lot of good things about the Karen Lucid report I'm not sure the time frame and the t- that they're putting on it can everything be turned around in such a quick period of time but certainly I would welcome any change that's a positive for the league and I think the stuff that he's been talking about uh, as radical as it may sound I think can only be a good thing for the league because it, it desperately needs change 
And we'll finish on the Michael Locker Davis testimonial. Alan will be here on Sunday along with all of these uh, legends who have listed off for these three matches. Will he be putting the boots on? And uh, I'm sure it'll be quite competitive looking at the, the list of squads for all the games. Not sure I want to play with all those names that are uh, listed out, but yeah, I'll throw the boots on, Jamie, and try and roll back the ears, you know yourself. But uh, it's always great to get the boots on. And it's, it, it's, it goes back to any chat you have with a lad. The one thing players always take from their playing days or, or being involved in teams is the camaraderie amongst lads in dressing rooms you just can't beat that or you can't replicate it in any other industry or any other walk of life and games like this always give you an opportunity to catch up with lads who you may not have seen um, and, and obviously get, get to see the lads again which is always a good thing as well so I'm certainly looking forward to this Sunday but most importantly it's far locker hopefully there's plenty of money raised and it's a celebration of just how good and the service that he's given to clubs all over the years Great so Alan Colley, thanks a million Pleasure Jamie League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. So we're here in Strabrook with the Cabin TV Director of Football and First Team Manager Pat Devlin and you can see behind us the Michael Locker Davis testimonial taking place here on Sunday. The squads look unbelievable. There should be a great day of football to help Locker's family. He's currently very sick in, in hospital and in the hospice and uh, he's been involved with Pat for years and years and years. All the way, he's been involved in football, Pat, since the 1970s and a great football man who you're, you're here to, to help out on, on Sunday. Yeah, well, you know, we first met back in, oh my God, it was the late 70s um, and... Uh, I was still playing at the time and, and I was playing with TK and he was one of the people who come along and support TK and uh, at that time he wasn't involved. So time moved on and um, it would have been, I suppose, around 1980, I took over in TK and uh, I was approached by a great local uh, player called uh, Eamon Turner who won the Junior Cup with uh, Dunleary Celtic and he said, look, the best of luck with TK and... Uh, if you're looking for anyone to help, you should look at Locker Davis. I said, not a hope. I said, wouldn't have him near the place. And uh, I went home and, and, and sort of had a good think about it. And I said, look, everybody deserves an opportunity. Went down and um, the love story began. And uh, he's been with me ever since. Yeah, and you know, League of Ireland managers often say, you know, their staff are so important. And people sometimes forget the kit man when they mention the staff. But the kit man isn't just the kit man. He has a relationship with the players. He's maybe a voice or, or you know, a pathway between the manager and the players at times. And you know, he's been a really important person by your side through all these years. And, and most recently with Cabin Teal, he was he was here at the start of the season until he got sick. Yeah, you know, you're right about the kit man. If, if you look at football worldwide, um, you, you hear a lot about the manager, the head coach, the players, you know, the directors, the chairman, and all that. You don't hear too much about the kit men. Um, and kit men are, are probably the most uh, valuable people in the setup because they keep the players happy, they keep the staff happy, and they make the players look good on behalf for for the fans to to acknowledge that and to see it, it is amazing. And um, Locker was a perfectionist, a thorough professional when it came to gear, and he was an unsung hero. But in fairness to him, in his own right, he was never an unsung hero. He, he really was a legend. Uh, I remember going back to the days of Billy Lord in, in, in uh, Sean McGrover's, who was an absolute legend, Gene McKenna up in, in Drada, people like that. And Locker is up there with, with the best, and he's done a fantastic job. But from a manager's point of view, um, some people would underestimate the, the influence a, a kit man can have on you. Um, for instance, you know, one of the loneliest places to be is uh, after a bad defeat. Um, and, you, you, you know, you very few people you can actually turn to even assistant managers head coaches chairman are not around for you but when you have someone like Locker at your side he's always there you know and he'd say mum we'd have a chat 
or he'd ring you the next morning and he'd say, we should have done this, or maybe we could have done that. What do you think? And he'd be outspoken, and I'd tell him, you know, mind your own business, or whatever it may be. But he was always there, always ready to give you a little bit of advice. But not just to me, but if there was an argument in the dressing room, he'd pull one of the players aside and say, no, listen, you behave yourself and do things properly, otherwise you'd be shown to gay, and so on and so on. So he had a massive influence in, in the whole makeup of, of any team that I was with in, in the club, and he had a, an awful lot of power. We, we gave him power. He was in charge of the gear. We trusted him and, uh, uh, with everything. He'd just done everything that we asked for, and even when he did make a mistake, we got great mileage out of actually catching him out, that he made a mistake, he might have forgot a training top, or he might have forgot a wrong number or a wrong colour, but we always had great fun we travelled the length and breadth of, of this country inside and out. We had tours to America, we were tours away. In England, we were in tours in, in, in Europe. We were everywhere together, and I have to say, he was a fantastic character, and still is, and please God, he'd be around to see the game on, on Sunday, if that's possible, and God is good to him. But what a great guy, and what a great servant to the League of Ireland football. And, uh, you know, I, I thank you and, and the media and the people who have given us some coverage for him because, you know, if you look in every other walk of life, whether it be show business, whether it be, you know, any other type of sport, the, you know, the people rally around when people need it. And in this situation, I hope people do rally around, particularly to be here on Sunday and support uh, this great little festival of football that we're having in Dunleary for one of our people who is based in the community, has lived in the community and is part of the community and is really a funny, funny character and a very loyal person and a good friend. Yeah, and I used a photo on the podcast last week, I just mentioned when this was announced, um, of Locker in his cabin Tealy kit at the start of the season. All the, the squad portraits are taken by Sports File and you know, he was part of your staff at, at the start of this season and, and he's now very sick and you're hopefully be here on Sunday. How is he now? And, and I know his family are here and, and you can see the amount of people and the amount of the, the squad list of players that are here to, to come and, and honour him, but how is he? You know, um, John Ryan, um, who you know scored a hat-trick for us in, in uh, the 1990 uh, go-final committee to see him with Morris Farrell uh, on Saturday. And, he, you know, he, he was very good and we, we had really fun, you know, bringing back the memories and talking about several different things. And while we were there, Wes Charles rang from um, the Caribbean and he he had a chat, and he was in very good form, but unfortunately yesterday he, he took a little bit of a turn and he wasn't great. Uh, we're hoping he'd pop, pop up again, and, and uh, he's been like that, he's been up and down, but he's in the hospice now, so, you know, it, it, it's sad, and uh, in a way it, it, it's sort of helpful for him because he's at peace there, and, and it's a fantastic facility, and, um, you know, it's, it's better for the family as well. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the, the rest of the week will be spent by going in and seeing him and telling him what's going on. And he is aware of what's happening and he's absolutely delighted and he's, it's much appreciated. And Pat, lastly, I'm sure he's uh, fully aware of how his team, Cabin Tealy, are doing this season in the first division, fourth in the league, a defeat against Galway at the weekend. And, you know, that cup game against Cork that went all the way to penalty. Lucky you could make it to the next round and you've got three league games left. Hopefully you're going to make the playoffs and I'm sure he'd be very, very happy to, to, to cheer the team on. And It's been a really good season on the pitch for your team and you're going to hopefully make those playoffs and, and see where it takes you. Well, you know, um, Cabin Tealy is a, a job in, in progress, really. Um, this year has been quite remarkable in many, many different ways. Uh, on the pitch, I, I'm absolutely thrilled with everything it doesn't matter whether we make the playoffs or not. I'll be brutally honest. We'd like to win the league. We're not going to win the league. I'd like to get runners up. So whatever we can aim and however we get. Uh, but the group of people that we've had, and including Locker and, and the people around, it's just been 
phenomenal what we've achieved. Uh, we don't have any budgets as such. Uh, we don't have any supporters. It's been a struggle, and it's always a struggle. And, uh, you know, people slagged off the pitch to start the season. You look at it now, and it's probably one of the best pitches in the league. Um, but this is cabin This is the way it is. And, and we just have to keep working away and, and trying to make it better, trying to encourage people to come along and make people aware of what we're trying to achieve here. And, and on the pitch, like we played Cork, it was a very silly mistake by a young boy, two, two mistakes, and, and, and we got punished. Um, the other night, to be fair, Galway done their homework on us. We never created a chance. It was one of those nights for us. It was just like a hangover from the cup. You can make all the excuses in your world. But we've got three games to go. We've got Cove away, which is going to be an extremely tough game. And we've had Lone at home. Equally found it very difficult against that Lone twice this year already. And then, of course, the most difficult one of all for us is Wexford away. So, look, people think you're on a, you know, they're easy teams. <laughs> Far from it, particularly if you look at our record against them. So it, it's all to play for. Uh, Longford now, Bray and ourselves will be running really for the, the, the two spots that's left. I think Shells and Draw that is, is, is going to be there. Bray have a tougher run in, but Shells will probably have won the league by then, by the time they play them. So, you know, and I'm delighted. Like, if we can't uh, win the league, I'm absolutely pleased for Shelburne because they're a great club, great a great tradition and people have invested in Shelbourne this year and they're, they're getting their return and in a way that sends a, me- a message out to other people who are potential investors if, if you want to invest in this league and, and you know you can get the results and you can get up and I, I do hope that Shells get up and I don't mean that any disrespect to Longford or Drada because equally they have people investing in them and what I'm looking for really is for people to invest their time and effort in, 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 in Cabin TD but we're making great progress and it's on the slow burner rather than, look, are we ready for the, the Premier Division? No, we're not ready. You know, would we be over three games a week? No, of a great bunch of players, but they just wouldn't be over three games a week. So, yeah, there, there is a little bit of a gap and it's getting bigger within the, the League of Ireland itself into the two divisions. But we just have to keep plodding along in it and we are doing remarkable work and we are making remarkable progress. Would I like to see a bit quicker? Yeah, I would. But, you know, we're not going to break the bank either. And just lastly on that, I was one of those people who hammered the pitch at times. I was here for the game against Longford, possibly maybe a month ago. Was it Longford? I think it was Longford because it was Sean Boyd made his debut. I watched the game with Sean Cabin from Shamrock Rovers. Pitch is fantastic. There was a good crowd here that night, you know, not in the thousands, but, you know, lots of kids and lots of families. And I sit on the, the bleachers over there on the far side. And it's a nice place to watch football. What's the next step to try and make more people come to the games? Because if they do come to the games, they'll enjoy them. You've got a young team that's playing good football, scoring lots of goals. You know, you've got a very good goalkeeper in Steve McGuinness. And, you know, it's a good team to watch. We just want more people to come and watch them. You know, I, I think the, the biggest problem, if I lose a game on a, on a Friday night, uh, I don't blame anyone else except myself. I, I look at myself first and uh, I look at what I could have done and what I should have done and maybe what I, I, I may have changed. And then I go right through the staff, what their contribution was, um, whether it be the press announcements, whether people were in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm very, you know, meticulous about it. And then I look at the team, and uh, I think if if Cabinteely are to progress and if Cabinteely are, are to be a force to be reckoned with in, in years to come in the League of Ireland or want the future in the League of Ireland, they look, must look at themselves first. We, we have a club with 2,000 people, uh, with their parents, uh, their parents, and we have a thousand players, roughly. And uh, if they're not going to support what we're doing here, well then, you know, what's the point? Shut the door, pack up and go. But that's where you have to start. 
And if you start there and they start getting into the habit of supporting the club, their club, and if they do that, if we have six, 700,000 people here every week, wow, we're on the way. We're going to do very, very well. Can we stay in BlackRock forever? No, not if we get to the Premier League. Of course we can't. Can we develop BlackRock with the cooperation of BlackRock? I'm sure we can. We can put in stands. At the moment, we're going to put, they're putting in an all-weather pitch. So the potential is here. But we do need people to get off their backsides and come and support. And I wouldn't blame anyone else in the area. I would genuinely look and, and say that the, the problem is within. And the, the problem is within Cabin TD Football Club. And Cabin TD Football Club must take account of that. And they must do something about it. And the people in that club who are benefiting from uh, football, uh, whatever they want to call it, babysitting, making progress in or out, social football. They're, it's their responsibility to support the club. And Cavendish in the League of Ireland is part of that club. Great stuff, Pat, as always. Thanks a million. The best luck for the rest of the season and also for this uh, game on Sunday for Locker. Thanks. No problem. Thank you. The best League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. That's it for another week on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. Thank you very much for listening and to all of our guests. More from all of them in the podcast section of offtheball.com. And we're also hopeful to hear from the former UCD boss, Collie O'Neill, on their That's What I Call Sport on 98FM this Sunday. Collie, of course, relieved of his duties by UCD during the week. They were beaten 10-1 in the FAI Cup, but they, he's done so well with them over the years and really disappointed decision from UCD to uh, relieve him of his duties. We expect the under-19 manager, Magic Tordovsky, to take charge of their FAI Cup game against Pass this weekend, and he may do the job till the end of the season before they find a permanent manager with Shane Keegan and Stephen Rice among the people favourites for the job. That's it for another week, folks. See you later. Bye-bye.